All right, Day Player back with you here on 720 WGN. So CNBC's longest-running primetime original series, American Greed, narrated by legendary actor Stacey Keach, returns with its biggest season ever on September 27th at 9 Central, with all new episodes airing into the new year. Now, featuring unprecedented access and eye-opening first interviews with victims and whistleblowers, this hit documentary series goes beyond the sensational headlines to tell diverse tales of excess, outrage, and gross abuses of power and talk about it all as the man whose production company is behind it all an icon of Chicago television news and one of America's most public media personalities for more than five decades it's my pal Bill Curtis Five decades. Oh, my goodness. It sounds like a long time. <laughs> it does. Well, and you celebrated a big birthday this week. Happy birthday to you, my friend. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, nice to knock another one off. Did you get breakfast in bed? You know, waited on hand and foot not, all day? <laughs> not quite. It was, uh, okay, get up, uh, do some exercises. <laughs> yeah, right. you right. got to talk to Dave. <laughs> that's right. That's right. How was your summer? I know we just hit our first day of fall. Uh, did you do anything fun, exciting, or just relax, enjoy the weather? We have big gardens here, and um, it was the great, greatest uh, climate uh, that we've had. You know, yeah. we had plenty of rain. Um, just a few hot, really hot days. So it was good for the gardeners. Good, 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 good. And you're working on a new book. How's that coming along? Uh, well, you know, you, you go back through the years and you relive it and it comes alive and it really uh, carries you along. You know, I was, uh, 13 before I lived off a Marine base. My dad was a career officer. And uh, then uh, I go to law school, blown out of Topeka, Kansas, by a tornado. Happened right. to be on the air, starting 30 years with CBS. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I did, I did four trials of the century in about four years. <laughs> I know you did. I know you did. But that really kind of, you know, propelled you to eventually Chicago. Well, I was, uh, at the time, the only one with a law degree and passed the bar, you know, in the courtroom. Now everybody's a lawyer. But it enabled me to kind of be like having a scuba gear underwater. You can see things mm. no one else can. And I remember talking to Tom Foran at the uh, conspiracy trial about what uh, the judge is going to do with Bobby Seale. I knew because uh, I had been over to the Northwestern Law School, the library, he, he would have to uh, bind and gag him. And I said, don't say anything, uh, Tom, just uh, I'll take your silence as an affirmative. Wow. And because they couldn't talk to the press. Well, yes, indeed. And so uh, they like like to see my reports. And uh, so I, it gave me oh, two or three days start, you know, from the other competitor uh, media, and um, it really turned. And Angela Davis uh, later on, and Daniel Ellsberg, and uh, some big uh, murders. One Corona, twenty-five dead and buried at a peach orchard in California, and uh, and then Manson, uh, biggest of them all, Charlie Manson. Right. I sat about ten feet from him for ten months, and uh, he was a, a squirrely little unusual character who had a mesmerizing stare and turned these three uh, teenagers into zombies to kill. 
It must have been amazing just to sit down as you're writing this book and just think about the details, because I'm sure some of it maybe eluded you for, you know, for years that you really didn't think about the depth of these conversations, these interviews, you did the stories that you covered. But now when you're writing a book, you really have to sit down and really bring that memory back in those moments. It just must have been amazing to kind of walk through these stories again. You are exactly right, and it's a very good point to bring up. Um, the case in point, an example, is the Angela Davis trial. And she was uh, teaching communism uh, at the time, the University of uh, California. Ronald Reagan was the governor. But she bought the murder weapons uh, around San Rafael, uh, California. And three days before... Um, you know, a, a young group, Jonathan, um, uh, goes into the courtroom, takes over the courtroom, takes a couple jurors, binds them, and the judge and the prosecutor walks them out to a van. They have taped a shotgun to the judge's uh, chin, and they're going to go to a radio station and then uh, hop a plane that they'll hijack, you know, and get away. And as they're pulling out, uh, somebody fires either from uh, the law enforcement mm-hmm. or inside the van and blows his uh, head off and uh, kills a number of others. She is charged, and they go to trial. She is a great uh, civil rights uh, lawyer. and but, but they had a little trick in there. Uh, he wanted her to act as her own attorney. He would also be an attorney, an advisor, which allowed her to make the opening arguments. And she stands up and, as an orator, declares to the jury that I'm innocent um, and that the government of the United States that is persecuting me. And uh, simply, you know, so it also meant, and I'm I'm realizing this as I'm going, uh, writing the uh, book, that she couldn't be called as a witness uh, by the prosecution um, without them um, asking only leading questions. Right, In other right, words, they right. couldn't cross-examine her. Right. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, what, um, what a thing. And then the uh, defense attorney, Leo Brandon, um, did something that was the beginning of what is now a common practice. He had uh, investigators, all came from Stanford as civilians, um, traced the backgrounds of all the potential jurors. So he knew exactly where they stood with politics and their leanings, and they were all liberal, and so was the judge. And and I won't say the fix was in, but um, in another judge... Uh, another courtroom, another judge, why it probably would have been much different. And I just realized that, what they had done, uh, which, you know, you got to say, hey, the lawyers were smart, um, you know, as I'm writing this thing. So it's like uh, living it all over again. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like, and you've been so much into investigative journalism from the very beginning, but, you know, so many people that tell stories, uh, report stories on television or streaming or whatever, a lot of the folks, they might do a little research and they're reading the news. I mean, you are, you know, the perfect example for anyone who wants to get into 
the field of journalism and and broadcast news and you know because you tell stories i mean this is what you do you you are a, an incredible storyteller and you can't make it up you have to get out into the field you have to look people in the eye right and do your homework which is hitting the street you know you can't do it just sitting behind you're an announcer Right. If you just sit behind That's an exactly anchor desk. Right. That's exactly right. I wanted to mention to you that um, a few weeks ago, the Museum of Broadcast Communications had an event called Rock Radio Revisited. It starred our own John Records Landecker, Tommy Edwards, you know, former partner of Larry Lujak in the mornings, Bob Stroud. And it was a look back at the golden age of rock radio. And we asked um, all these music uh, radio legends on stage who their influences were. And this is what Tommy Edwards said. He said, my influence was this guy I would listen to in Independence, Kansas. It was Tony Curtis, Curtis with a K on K-I-N-D, I believe it was, 1010. You were the, you were the guy that, that propelled Tommy Edwards to go into radio. Isn't that awesome? Oh. <laughs> oh, great. That really is. Well, I appreciate that. He's exactly right. That's where I started in Independence and ran the him into him in Topeka. Uh, it was top 40, and I could take it for about six months. You know, the yeah. same time, same records. I mean, we were yeah. playing Elvis Presley records when they were first coming out. And uh, and then I said, oh, I got to get out of this. I was in the middle of uh, college, too. Yeah. So I went to TV. Well, he said it was all about your voice, all about your voice. We're talking to the legendary Bill Curtis, and we're going to talk about American Greed uh, right after the news next year on 720 WGN. Day Plier, 720 WGN. We're talking to the legendary Bill Curtis, and now we're going to talk a little bit about American Greed. So, you know, you know, investigative journalism always, always, always has been in your blood. And this series, it's a it's a big ratings getter on, on CNBC, is back for yet another season. We're going to have uh, have produced 220 of these shows, wow. Wow. Uh, which is hard to believe because uh, there have been a few killings, you know, within them. But basically, it's white collar crime. So you can have really interesting crime stories without killing anybody. And uh, this uh, next Tuesday at nine o'clock um, comes our first uh, premiere uh, this season. And it's called The Polygamist and uh, the Bio uh, Billionaire, Biofuel Billionaire. Uh, The Polygamist comes from, of course, uh, the Mormon uh, community in and around uh, Taylorsville, Utah, and Salt Lake City. And the the numbers are just incredible. Uh, Three wives, 20 children, uh, 300 kids connected to a few fathers out there. But it had been going on since the founder started it in 1920. Um, There was an entrepreneur uh, and the great-grandchild who decided uh, to start a business. And it was legitimate. Uh, collecting the vegetable oils from French fries and restaurants, taking them to a processor, refining it, and then selling it as biofuels. It just happened to hit when the government wanted the sustainable fuels that are not fossil Mm -hmm. fuel. So he got a tax credit. And soon the profits began rising into the hundreds of millions of dollars. A guy in L.A., um, gets um, word of the scheme, 
And he jumps in and pumps that up to a billion dollars in profit, all without any inspection by the IRS or the FBI or any of the other government agencies. All they had to do was fraudulently fill out the forms. Now they went through uh, shipping and they could prove that, you know, we shipped to Panama, but nobody was on the other end to find out where that went. Wow. So uh, the problem was a beautiful young daughter uh, who decides she was an accountant in what was called the order, polygamy cult. Um, And she was told uh, before she was 18, you're going to have to marry your first cousin. Oh, boy. That way they would have control over her. She got together with her boyfriend. They ran off. Um, she started working at, uh, in Las Vegas for about five months, having told the FBI the entire scheme. And they came in, they charged uh, about 50 counts to the biofuel dealer in L.A., and he was facing life in prison, and uh, the whole thing has a happy ending. Um, but it's quite a story. Yeah, quite you know, well, here's the thing, too. Like, I know, you know, since you've done this series, you, you grab stuff, you rip it from the headlines that are, that you might have heard about but don't know the details. But you also dig into stories that are not on the front page or might not be national news that anyone talks about. And I think that's what makes this series so interesting. You're exactly right. And, you know, usually there's um, a giveaway. Uh, did you ever see... Yeah. Um, Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they had, uh, had the big uh, score uh, at Kennedy. Yeah. And uh, the first guy starts buying big cars and yeah. things. And De Niro said, you're crazy. You're crazy. Yeah. I told you. don't." Move. Well, in this case, the, the big dealer who happens to be from Turkey, he was going to retire to Turkey before uh, the guys caught him. Um, driving Bugattis, yeah. million-dollar cars, yeah. Yeah. million uh, million-plus uh, mansions, you know, on the ocean. Uh, and you're living large. Yeah. And you better look out. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. going to be jealous yeah. or tip the feds. And, you know, if you have more than, you know, three or four guys in your core group, you can't, can, can't control them all. They have wives, and they want to buy fur coats for the wives, mm-hmm. and, uh, and money yeah. is a big temptation. And it's all about American greed. Back on CNBC <laughs> next Tuesday at 9 Central, uh, and again, on CNBC. Bill, always a pleasure hanging out with you and, uh, and chatting with you. And uh, again, happy birthday, and I hope to talk hey. to you soon. Well, thank you, Dave. Always a pleasure here, too. Let's hope there are many more. Let's hope so. Let's hope so, Bill. Happy birthday again. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Mary's got your traffic.